night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. Sorry it has been so uh, somewhat infrequent here that we've been able to be live the last few weeks. There's just a lot going on, and I know you understand what I'm talking about, and I appreciate your patience. But we do have a live show for you tonight, and it's going to be a great one. Alan Steinfeld will be with us tonight. He is a an explorer of consciousness. He's also the producer and host of a television series called New Realities, and he's written a book called Making Contact. We'll be talking about UFO phenomena and related ideas uh, throughout the course of the conversation tonight with Alan. Looking forward to that. And I'm also looking forward to being here and uh, doing what we all enjoy doing, which is talking about some of these topics, which are curious and mysterious in a lot of different ways. And one of the things, I think it was, was it last week we had, trying to remember, uh, the dates get all confused for me, but um, we had um, the guest on that was talking about uh, the taking of Mr. Exxon. Remember the kidnapping of Sidney uh, Riso, the president of Exxon? That that, that occurred in, uh, was it 1992? We had that conversation, and it was, I found it a bit interesting that I hadn't really heard a lot about that particular case. I mean, it really was kind of a landmark case and quite a, quite a, a newsworthy event, course he did explain that their la was under riots and under siege basically because of the rodney king police verdict at the same time so maybe that's why much of that news was obscured and plus i was i was young so maybe i wasn't paying attention so closely however it it was curious to me and then i found another similar situation another true crime uh event that i somehow just really wasn't that aware of. And um, I found it because I was just flipping through Netflix looking for something to entertain me for a while. This was a few nights ago. And I stumbled upon a docu-series, you know, so it's like, it was like four episodes, each an hour long. It was called, um, I think it was called This is a Robbery or something like that. And it was about the uh, theft of some priceless works of art from, and I've forgotten the name of the museum, which is ridiculous because I knew it right up until this point, uh, but it was, a, it was a kind of an obscure museum which had an amazing collection of art in Boston. And this occurred in 1991. And I watched the documentary about how this crime occurred, and then the first couple of episodes was were quite riveting, uh, but then they got into the weeds a little bit about the mob and who they suspected may have been responsible, and that got got to be a little bit hard to follow. Maybe it was because of the hour I was watching it. So I always do my television watching very, very late at night, so I, sometimes I find myself drifting off a little bit, maybe dozing a little bit. Um, but either way, I'm, I'm 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 listening to this and paying attention to this this uh, this docu series, and I'm trying to understand why this isn't something that I had really any familiarity with. The robbery at the oh man, I'm I'm going to have to look it up now um, because I can't remember the name of the the museum. But it was a really amazing museum, a little kind of private. Not a I don't know if it was necessarily a private museum, but it was set up by. Was it Gardner, the Gardner Museum? Is that right? Maybe. Huh. No, no, Iowa, it's not old timers. It's not that. It's more of just being pulled in too many directions at the same time and trying to keep it all straight. That's really what's happening. Was it the Gardner Museum? Somebody's got to know this. I know we have some folks in Boston that listen to the program. And it was in 1991, and $200 million worth of priceless, I say priceless, but obviously it does have a value, uh, artwork was stolen in the course of 81 minutes uh, on the, uh, it was actually March 18th, I think, 1991, and it was the the night of St. Patrick's Day. So uh, much of Boston was busy celebrating St. Patrick's Day. But what a really, really fascinating story. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't heard it, which is kind of the position I was in, I recommend you find this on Netflix and watch it. Again, I think I called, this is a, it was called This is a Robbery or This is a, this is a, I think it was this is a robbery. I'm not sure. I really should have written all this down 
And that way I would have had uh, detailed and accurate information when I started to tell the story to you. But uh, I do recommend it. It was, like I said, it gets a little lengthy and uh, a little into too much into the weeds in the uh, last couple of episodes. The Gardner Museum, yeah. So, uh, but for the first two episodes, it's really fascinating in how these guys got away with it. And um, uh, there's so many questions that the documentary leaves un answered plus the fact that they still don't know where this artwork is 30 years later and they i mean these are these aren't the types of things that uh, you know you sell it you somebody buys at a garage sale and and, and pulls off uh you know a, a an elvis a velvet elvis painting and finds a rembrandt underneath it's just not that kind of this is the world-class art artwork and they speculate that maybe they're hanging in some uh, wealthy or oil uh, baron uh, sheikh's uh, house in Saudi Arabia or something. I don't know. But, again, I, I recommend it very, very highly. It was very interesting. So we're going to uh, go to break here. When we come back, we'll bring in our guest, Alan Steinfeld. We'll talk about UFOs tonight and some related topics. I do want to quickly remind you, though, that the other show that I'm doing, which is live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights, we talk about politics on that show. That show has been moved to 10 p.m. It was originally airing at 9 p.m. Eastern. Now it's 10 p.m. Eastern. And, um, again, you can find it on YouTube. And the channel is called The Independence Gang. The Independence Gang. And uh, it's, it's, we're having a lot of fun doing the program. And we think, we're, we think we're doing some kind of a public service. At least we hope some people feel that we are. Because uh, it's therapeutic for us. I know that. Anyway, all right, we'll go to break. We'll get Alan on the on the line here. We'll begin this conversation about UFOs tonight. It's beyond reality. Oh, yeah, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please subscribe to the uh, Twitch channel and find us on Facebook. All that stuff. Please do it all. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month, less than a dollar, goes a long way in helping us produce this program, provide great interviews for you during the course of the week. I thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the program. Speaking of moon dance, anybody check out the pink moon? I think that's what it was called, the super moon. I think it was last night. Up In upstate New York, we don't ever get to see any of that stuff because we have cloud cover 99.875% of the time. That is a scientific number. We really do have cloud cover all of that time. I, apparently, there's going to be another uh, supermoon in May. This is a, a particularly spectacular sight if you get to see it. The moon is closer to the Earth than it normally is, and it just appears much larger. So take advantage of that if you can. Tonight, we're going to be talking with Alan Steinfeld. He is an explorer of consciousness, also producer and host of the New Realities television series. Alan, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you with us tonight. Well. Thank you. I used to live in upstate New York. I know what you mean. But, um, Alan, where did yeah. you live? Where did you live in upstate? Well, I went to school in Buffalo, which oh, okay. is an awful place, not <laughs> to offend anybody. But, um, but I'm from New York City and around, so I, I did need to get out, go to the Adirondacks sometimes. All those upstate towns are kind of strange. Rochester, Syracuse, right? They're all... Where are you? I am in okay. Cooperstown, New York. Cooperstown. Oh, Baseball Hall of Fame, right? That's correct, yes. Yep. I guess 
Is that why you're there? No. No, I am not. Um, I, I'm, I'm here. I actually grew up in Oneonta, which is about 30, oh. 30 miles from here. And I just uh, I bought a place here in Cooperstown about, I don't know, gosh, it's now been 15 years ago or so. Um, and I keep, you know, I, I wonder why every once in a while. I mean, we have a few nice days a year, but the rest of the time it's cold, rainy, and cloudy, and a little bit depressing. So <laughs> I have to rethink it occasionally. Right, right. That's why I'm in Sedona right now. Ah. Because it is, it is a, it's the mecca of weirdness, you know, and strange going on. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. What should we talk about? Well, we're going to talk about a bunch of things. I want to learn a little bit more about you and how you got to uh, develop such an interest in these topics that we'll be talking about tonight. How that happened for you? Well, yeah, my program's called New Realities. And when I got to New York after I finished school in Buffalo in like the early 80s, I started taking photographs. And um, I um, always heard that you two things cannot occupy the same place at the same time. But in photography, I, maybe I suppose I didn't have enough money to buy more film. I used to roll back the film after I shot a whole roll and get another set of images, and two things would appear in the same place at the same time. It was like these other level of reality would happen. The two would merge to form a third reality. So I started to tune into what is the nature of reality? What are we seeing? Are there overlapping dimensions right here, but it really came through the visual medium. And I started to then going in from photography into video and doing interviews and talking to people who, who were thinking differently. You know, of course I met the great minds, people like Terrence McKenna. Do you sure. ever meet Terrence? He no. was quite happy. Yeah, no, I didn't have that opportunity. And other people, the human potential movement was just happening in the early eighties. And, uh, I went and did every single workshop I could possibly do with uh, shamans and healers and Reiki masters. So, you know, New York, I was living in New York City at the time, and just walking out in the street was a great adventure. I used to see Allen Ginsberg would walk by my apartment. And it was uh, it was really a cultural mecca, you know, things like the Mud Club and uh, Club 57 and some of these other uh, avant-garde outlets were all um, cropping up. And there was a real movement towards uh, newness, new extremes, you know, performance art. I used to see, uh, what's his name, Uh, Keith Haring, paint drawing his drawings on the subway. (laughs) He he comes up to me. He comes up to me. You know who he is, right? Yeah. Take a picture of me. He says, take a picture of me. I'm going to be famous. I said, you're not going to be famous. You're just drawing on the subway. Of course, that that drawing is probably worth $5 million now that right. he did. So what did I know? But I was just exploring possibilities. I met this guy named Harry Smith. You know Harry Smith? He was quite a, uh, quite a kind of... I know the yeah. Harry Smith that ended up on television. Probably not the same one. Maybe not. He used to collect... Um, uh, well, he was the first early animator. He was a kind of a cultist, and he was part of the whole beat scene. And he he was a, a music ethnologist. He influenced people like Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie and some of that. So he he was kind of a character. I, I, and there were lots of characters out there I just wanted to photograph. And they were a doorway. Actually, the transvestites that used to dance at, um, where was that, the Pyramid Club, they were very strange. They, you would think they were men and they were women, but mm-hmm. they were really men. And, and this whole mixing of course that's normal now so no one makes but in the 80s it's like what's going on here and it's mm-hmm. like the whole uh, vibe of downtown new york was kind of exciting it was different it was an exploration i never knew what was going to happen each day i would leave my apartment because i had pretty cheap rent and just go out in the street and explore reality and it was always something unusual and strange so um it was very satisfying, the art scene there. And then from the arts, I got into more of the metaphysical. And I saw 1981, you know, there was a kind of um, movement towards spirituality. And I didn't really want a guru. I didn't want to follow people around or look at their picture. But I thought there had to be some kind of spirituality that didn't involve that. But then someone told me about this channel, this 
this uh, 35,000-year-old warrior that would come through this housewife and from Tacoma, Washington. Do you know who I mean? This was the Rampa days. Hmm. You know, Rampa, the, the Enlightenment. Have you heard of that? Yeah, channel, of course. Rampa? Sure, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, in 1981, I went to see Rampa, and I thought it was just kind of some psychological manifestation. Either this woman was crazy, she was acting, or um, maybe something else was going on. And I had, and when Rampa, I saw Rampa, she goes into a trance, and this other voice comes out, and the eyes go from blue to black, and their body expands, the neck especially, and she or he is marching around the stage, and then he calls on me. From the audience, or about 100 people are there, and says, What say you, beloved entity? How be you this day in your time? I said, What? Are you, are you talking to me? And then I had sort of a psychedelic experience, a kind of a room sort of get, got a little misty, and I felt like, um, I don't know, a kind of altered state just by this contact. And it's like, that was an awakening. I said, wow. I mean, I, at that point, I knew there was more to reality than what I had been shown or told or educated or even seen on the streets of New York. There was another level that I was exposed to, maybe a metaphysical paranormal, whatever you want to call that. But then I knew that was real. I knew it wasn't just a, a manifestation of the psychology of the mind or a kind of an escape that people look towards. I knew there was a... There was something more to me and to other people, and that began this old journey of awakening that I've been on ever since. So that's sort of the beginning. A couple of questions. One, the the Ramtha experience you had. Now, yeah. if I remember correctly, I've had somebody or maybe even more than one person on the show. That's a, There's a whole organization around that channel, isn't there now? Well, there there is now. Yeah. In 1981, it was just this Jay-Z Knight traveling right. from city to city with her assistant going into a trance and right. saying some pretty amazing things. That was probably some really avant-garde stuff there. And I thought, wow, this is more avant-garde than what I've been seeing on the streets in New York. And this woman becoming this Atlantean warrior was stranger than the transvestites dancing on the bar the pyramid club so that was like my my conversion there you know alan i've got to ask i don't mean to sound ignorant here but i i'm no, just trying no. to i'm just trying to put things into place would i have mm-hmm. had jay-z knight on my program within the last few years you might have i think yeah, i no, did she's still she's still channeling and it's still great information yeah. i've you know, I was with that organization, well, not, not the organization, but I would go to these classes or schools or dialogues for 20 years as a kind of framework or a kind of a basic uh, understanding of whatever spirituality is. I'm still trying to figure that out. But yes, you probably did have her on your show. Yeah. Why not? She's very, she probably became the most well-known channel uh, they know channeling is like uh, a popular pastime now in America, but she yeah. was really after Jane Roberts, she was one of the first, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm almost certain now that I did have Jay-Z yeah. on the program before. So it's all making sense. Now I want to go take you back to the days that you were describing New York. It sounds like it was a, yeah. an incubator for some real creativity and some real thought provoking stuff. Do you, in, in, in your estimation, does that exist anywhere uh, now in a, in a city in the United States or anywhere in the world for that matter? You know, I think the, the 80s were, that was the early 80s, and New York was kind of coming out of a slump, and there were all these, I mean, I was paying $95 a month for my apartment. You definitely can't find oh, that no. anywhere yeah, now. No. <laughs> and, and it was kind of like a, a renaissance of sorts, and I don't know. I, I mean, I was just reading an article today by Daniel Pinchback. He said, is art completely dead? I mean, like everyone locked into their apartment watching pre-made films. Is, is anyone even making art anymore? Well, of course they are. But what art and creativity was then was really new. It was exciting. People were I mean, I'm sure it's happening in different ways now. It's always, people always see it after, but um, I don't think it's happening. To, I mean, the internet and everything that's come with good and bad has replaced, like, hanging out, doing performance. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 it, it was a, it's a different time now. So I don't think, I think you're right. 
it really it may exist in like I don't know China or like some like I don't know developing world or something, but I don't think it is. Yeah, you're right was, about was, the internet is a bit yeah. of a is a bit of a time vacuum uh, for a lot of people. Yeah. It sucks it sucks energy out of us all that we might be using for creative purposes if we if we had some idle time to do that with. Right. I mean, there is some creativity happening. I mean, Clubhouse is doing some amazing new stuff. That, I mean, actually having intelligent conversations, which you don't see like on Facebook looking at cat videos, right? So, um, <laughs> you're, so there's stuff happening, but in different ways. And it's like we're always kind of pushing the envelope of the unknown. But I do think, getting back to the subject at hand, the avant-garde is the UFO that's yeah. unfolding right in front of us. So you you had a, an amazing um, bit of experiences as you were kind of you know coming of age there uh, in New York, and then you had this this channel experience, and you started to question reality and the things that we've all been taught. I mean, these things that we're kind of, and I don't know if if, if we're being intentionally guided in a direction or just people don't know better, any better. What do you think? Do you think it's that, you know, we're being kind of taught to be closed-minded about a lot of things? Well, I think that's part of the programming, and it's always like, you know, people, I call it horse and buggy thinking. Who wants a, a, a car that makes noise and has to run and guess when you have a nice horse and buggy? So, um there's progress, and people are always resistant to progress, and I think we're taught to be closed-minded, but there's an innate drive in the human being to seek out new life and new civilizations, you know, to, to explore the unknown, to climb the highest mountain. I mean, one of the things, and this goes back to the Rampa days, he says, the reason you incarnated here was to make known the unknown, explore the very nature of reality, I'm adding that part, but explore what's out there. It's not just the same old stuff. So there's an innate drive to discover something new, and we have to fight the programming of our education, our politics, our, our media, everything that wants to just kind of lock us in place, not to uh, you know disturb the waters there. But, you know, who we are is disturbing, you know, the nature of reality. There's a book called... Uh, uh, by Raymond Williams called The Long Revolution. And he talks about how the artists are always coming along, disturbing the status quo, and the status quo is always trying to keep it together, keep it uh, in check. And so that's the ongoing struggle between the creatives, and maybe there's less or maybe there's more, I don't know, and and the establishment that just everything wants everything in a neat little box that they can explain but that's not happening anymore. I think that's the good part of the internet yeah. is that people can right explore new things. Yeah, I think that's true too. It it allows people to kind of circumvent some of the filters that we have all had in our lives or for generations anyway. So as you, as you started to have these epiphanies and started to consider this stuff, at some point you kind of turned this to your life's work. Well, I couldn't think. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I never thought of it. That was always something I was interested in. And I took all these workshops. And after taking all the workshops, and I still wanted to talk to these people. I decided to start a, a cable access show where I can invite these people onto my program, like Jay-Z Knight or, or Bruce Lipton or uh, some of these leaders. In the in the um, human potential, metaphysical, paranormal world, and and talk to them more. So yeah, I I just I am endlessly curious. So it's that's the life's work is curiosity, and um, that's why I write about. It. And did you get to read a little bit of that book on yeah. the PDF at all? Yes. Yeah, I I say well. Science fiction. I started with science fiction. It's like, what are these people talking about? What do they know? I, I never felt normal. I guess that's sort of why. I never felt like I really fit into the world and did what people did, play baseball, go to Cub Scouts, you know, whatever they do in suburban America. I just like this. That was foreign to me. It's like, there has to be something more. So, yeah. My life's work has started since the day I was born, I think, exploring like other things. You so yeah, yeah. Tell me about tell me about new realities because you've been doing that for quite some time. Yeah, so new realities is uh, an interview show that where I really sought out people who are having different perceptions. Like, do you know who Bruce Lipton is? 
Mm. Well, he's a biologist. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Well, he was a renegade biologist. I mean, but he really based in science. And he said, you know, there's evolution, but the factors of evolution are not, uh, as Darwin says, uh, random mutation. There is no, there are random mutations, but that's a de-evolution of the species. Bruce Lipton says there's, there's an upgrading, there's a conscious mutation, like a, a species evolved because it wills itself to evolve. And this got rid of the whole sort of mechanistic Newtonian idea of, of the world is a machine. There's, there's more intention involved. There's a, there's a higher level of consciousness. So I started to talk to people about what was this higher level of consciousness in science, in the arts, like Alex Gray's has become a good, you know, Alex Gray's art. He's painting these overlapping, intersecting realities. Probably one of the most famous painters of our time. Uh, Deepak Chopra has been on my show because he's pushing the envelope. So I just wanted to talk to people. And New Reality is about perception and how we can perceive the world differently. And it is different. Your perception might not be the same as my perception. So we can't agree on the nature of the world, which is fine, because we're all having our own subjective experience, and we're here to learn from people's subjective experience and not, and then expand what's possible. So I got I, I started to meet some really interesting healers. I saw I went to India. I saw miracles happen, like you know things materialize. I mean, strange things, and um, it was all part of new realities. Even health and nutrition. Okay, what uh, I mean, what should we not eat? Well, why are they? Um, um, why are people eating bread and chocolate and candy? And uh, like, how do we switch our diet? And where's intention involved in that? So. I just decided I wasn't going to eat sweets anymore because it didn't make me feel good. And I shifted my mindset where I don't even like, I mean, occasionally I'll have something, but it's like we really can um, create the reality we want, but it's not like you change the world out there. You just change your relationship to the world. So that's really the new reality that's changing, not what's out there, but how you feel about what's out there. Let's talk about that in a little bit more detail. Why is it so difficult for people to actually control their own perception of the world? I mean, most of us, you know, are kind of uh, stuck in some kind of uh, regimen where the things we believe, the things we like, you know, it's it's very, very difficult to evolve or change or move from those ideas. Yet you just explained a scenario whereby you decided and you you made it part of your perception that you were no longer going to eat or like sweets and you were able to do that. Why is it easy for someone like you to do that, but it's so much more difficult for others? What are they missing? Well, they're missing a creative... Uh, well, I think everyone has it. I don't think... If you are born and someone tells you the world is this, you know, that's a door, that's a ceiling, that's a floor, and then you, we just crave uh, learning things as a child, but then we start to believe what people tell us, and if we don't, um, if we're not made aware of it, it tends to be outside our your perception if someone tells you this is what you're supposed to do and that's how you're supposed to behave and as a child we just soak it up and we we believe it like when i do my lectures i show this film which was a harvard psychology cognitive experiment where i tell people to i'm sure you've heard of it count the passes it's just a base a basketball game and they're the ball's being passed there's a team in white shirts a team in black shirts i say count the ball's uh, passes between the team and the, let's say, the white shirts, and then people are counting, and they're very focused. And in the middle of that scene, there's a guy in a gorilla suit walking across the basketball court. And I say at the end of the film, okay, how many passes do you And people say 15 or whatever. And I said, do you see anything else unusual? Most people say no. I said, did you see the gorilla in the man in the gorilla suit? <laughs> I would say 90% of the people do not see it because I didn't tell them to look for it. They were so focused mm-hmm. on the reality that I told them to look for it. That they, and then I show them the video again. I say, don't count. Just watch it. 
and, and <laughs> there was one woman who came up and said, I don't think that's the same video, you know? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's like just because you, no one told you to look there, you weren't looking for, and it's right there. It's on it's on YouTube, that video, the guy in the grill with or whatever you want to call it. And it's like we were not told that there's other levels of reality. If you're, the, It's interesting, the people who are more creative – tend to see the guy in the gorilla suit. They're, they have more of an imagination. They don't always do what people tell them to do. They're outside the system. Those are the people that notice it. Wow. Hello? Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's, an, it's a curious phenomenon. And I'm one of those people that, uh, you know, I am, I'm, um, I don't know if this is the right way to describe it, but I'm numbers and figures and logic, and I don't have the creative eye, if you will. So I'm probably one of the people who would have counted the passes and not seen the gorilla. I, I would have to bet I was in that camp. I'm sure you would, because people who are very linearly trained are um, tend to like do, you know, do what they're told. But there is a creative part of you. I think just doing the show and and your expression, your you know, the reason you're doing this show is is a part of your creativity, how you explore the nature of reality. Don't, don't you think so? I, I, I have to assume, I mean, again, I, I take it all from a very logical standpoint, even though many of the topics we talk about on the show aren't particularly logical. Um, so I'm not sure. I do play music, though. I'm a musician, and right. I play a lot of music. So I'd have to say at least I have that going for me. But, you know, logic is on its way out because what they're finding in quantum physics, have you done shows on quantum physics? Yeah, we where, sure have, yeah. Right. There is not the logic to quantum physics that there is to linear Newtonian science. There's something else going on. It's the observer effect. The observer influences the reality that it seems. And, of course, Richard Feynman, one of the leaders of quantum physics, said, if you think you understand physics, uh, quantum physics, you don't. You have no idea what you're talking <laughs> right. about. No one, under no one understands it. So we are shifting from these linear number type ways of understanding reality to a more abstract way of understanding it. And this was the Einsteinian revolution. It's relative to where you are. Right. Yeah. Now, as we kind of transition to talking about uh, the book, Making Contact, I want to bring up some of what have been, I guess, headlines recently. There seems to be a lot of activity in our skies. And I'm kind of I want to get your opinion on what we've been hearing. First of all, we're getting a lot of uh, military disclosure, uh, whether it's the military yeah. releasing videos or simply admitting that the videos that have been released secretly or however else they were released are actually genuine. What do you think of all that? Well, I think we are reaching a breaking point. Finally, seventy what five six years after Roswell, where yeah. like you know the headline was UFO flying saucer crashes in Roswell, and then denying it, you know, and there's been this um, what Stephen Bassett, one of the UFO people, said a truth embargo for seventy five years is starting to be a crack in the armor of of secrecy. So yeah. The government's coming. Navy is coming forward. The videos are being released. You know who Luis Alessandro is? He's yeah, part sure. Of the government. Yep. Mm -hmm. Luis Alessandro was asked, I think, on CNN, well, are these the, all the videos that we have, these like three or the fourth one with the pyramids floating in the air? And he practically <laughs> burst out laughing, saying, no, these are the least of our, these are the least compelling. He didn't go into more detail, but I think Alessandro... And some of these other people, Christopher Mellon, who were insiders in the government, in the Pentagon, in the uh, you know, State Department, Defense Department, they're starting to be a break within the inner quarters and say, no, it's time the public knows. So they are releasing these videos. You know, some are being leaked. Some are... And there is a statement by the Navy uh, just a couple of months ago. There are UFOs. So it's it's out. The disclosure has happened in a sense. Of course, it hasn't become like um, like on all the headlines, but you do get occasional news reports. But what we're looking for now is confirmation. Okay, roll out the bodies that you have at uh, Area 51 and the crash ships, and let's really come out with what's here. And I think 
the, what I really think is the government doesn't know what to say about it. They don't know how to handle it. They can't explain it. They have to then talk about abductions and what went on with that. How come they're not protecting people from being taken in the middle of the night or you know, some estimates, uh, I mean, I think I had an experience, but there are hundreds of thousands of people who have came forward claiming to have contact. I mean, when Whitley Strieber wrote his book, Communion, they got 200,000 letters, him and his mm-hmm. wife, from people claiming. So this is a phenomena. It is a reality. That's why I wrote this book. It's a kind of a crash course in uh, all the ramifications of the phenomena. And the government is... Um, I would say sort of running scared. They, I mean, there's the more, there's more UFO sightings. There was the article in the New York Times, I think it was April 12th, saying New Yorkers are seeing more UFOs in the sky. Something's happening, and something's happening to the very nature of reality. I think this is why my program, New Realities, has prepared me for what I think is happening now. There's a split. There's, a, there's, a, there's like a new modality of time about to... Um, intersect with what has been normal. Of course, in the last year and a half, nothing's been normal. And in a way, I think that's been a preparation for an unfoldment of some new realities. Do you think the timing of this, what would be a bit of a soft disclosure at this point, but certainly an accelerating one, do you think this is a phenomena of the government being pushed to do this by Whatever the you know whatever the source of the secrets that they're keeping or being pulled uh, to do this by us by the people who are asking questions or a combination of all of it. It's a combination of I think I think you're right. Some maybe the phenomenon is pushing it. Maybe it's just time. Maybe there's more enlightened people deep inside the government. But I think one other thing is that the veils between the dimensions, the the nature of reality itself is shifting. Because when this is really okayed, it's like we are entering a new world. This is a new cosmos, a new heaven and a new earth is unfolding right before us. And, there's, and there is more sighting. So we're seeing a cracking of an, um, the old way of thinking. And Alessandro himself said... The phenomena is more like quantum physics. He said this, uh, uh, I think it was the debrief uh, interview that he did. So the very nature of how we think, and reality is more solid than the ground beneath our feet. And when it starts to crumble or fragment, people are going to panic a little bit because reality is what they identify with as real. And it's like, it's not happening anymore. And this is part of, why the government's having such a hard time, because they know there's something more going on. They have to. It's been 75 years of secrecy. So how do you tell people the world is not what it's, we've been programmed to think it is? This is the, the impasse that we're now approaching, but it's cracking. It's hope. And we all have to be prepared to knowing. And I think the COVID emergency mm-hmm. situation, mm-hmm. I don't, I think somehow, maybe not directly linked to it, but it definitely shook up our notions of function of normal of normalcy, right? For sure, yeah, without question, yeah. And so I I don't think it's related, but it somehow shows us what was very like normal people getting up, going to work, doing this. It's like. The world is completely different than it was two years ago. People think different. They act differently. They Everyone's out there wearing a mask or whatever they're doing. Um, and I think the UFO situation, when that really becomes known and maybe becomes even part of our reality, that might shake people up even more. But this is a step towards that indirectly. And, you know, obviously, who's ever visiting us is not filling up their gas tank to get here, right? So right. there's other technologies and and the corporate um, structures that, you know, have us, you know, feeding our gas tank, all that thing. It, that's about to shift, too. And I think that's a bigger threat 
um, than all the other situations about UFOs that we're, we're seeing. I want to ask you about another headline recently that mm-hmm. um, I haven't uh, done any follow-up on. Maybe you have more information, but there was reports and f- video of a pyramid-shaped type craft um, mm-hmm. caught. Do we know any more about that? Have you found anything? Well, I know Jeremy, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp. I think they, they, they're the ones who leaked that to the press, and I think they must have gotten it from insiders they know. No, but there have been other pyramid-shaped objects. There was one over the Pentagon about maybe five years ago. There was one seen in Moscow. So that might, you know, it seems, I talked to Grant Cameron. He's a chapter in the book. He says it seems like, you know, they keep upgrading their craft. Like yeah. in the 1890s, when the phenomena first began, people saw these like wooden type boats in the sky. And then they saw these round circular things in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And then they saw these triangular uh, ships over Phoenix, the Phoenix lights. There was, and now maybe this is just their newest model uh, of, of spacecraft. Um, I don't know. There's some sacred geometries involved in the pyramid structure. There's something called the tetrahedron, which is like a a, a great platonic shape for holding energy. So maybe we're being upgraded that way. I I, I don't know if there is any more to know about than just what's been seen. Yeah. Do you think we're being prepared, uh, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, for something big to happen? Do you think there's going to be something monumental within the next, I don't know, within our lifetimes anyway? Well, I think that might be possible, but I think it's becoming a, a one-on-one sort of situation. People, more people I know are having sightings. I'm actually, I'm in Sedona where everyone's like seeing a UFO here, but I think it's it's a, it's a one-on-one thing. I, I mean, do we think we'll have some grand mass sighting? Well, they happened in Phoenix in 1997, and of course the governor came out first saying, no, it was just a joke. But we are being prepared slowly. So I think the only way this is really going to have an impact on people is if they're coming and going, appearing and disappearing. And so people are not shocked. They're getting, we're getting used to it now with the the headlines in the paper. I think this is it's a slow rollout. It's a slow leaking on the side of the phenomena and the side of the government. Are they working together? They might be, but it's like there's the offense and defense, but they're really on the same side. And we're the spectators, although there are, are no spectators in this sport. So I don't think it's going to be one big bam. They're here like, uh, you know, whatever that was, Independence Day. But I do think over the next 20 years or more, more people will start to be, make it part of their reality. So when they finally do show up in whatever number, it's not going to be a big deal. So um, that's my idea of what may be unfolding. When we talk about um, the government's involvement in this and their effort to disclose, and without making this overtly political, do you see any difference uh, in political parties as it as it relates to the anxiousness or willingness to uh, offer disclosure or any other information? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's the interesting thing. There is absolutely no difference between who's president and who's not, because I think there's another, let's say, leadership or another, uh, another level of government. I, I don't like the word deep state. That's so conspiratorial. But there is a level where maybe even presidents don't know what's going on, not even the Republicans or the Democrats or whoever. There's another level controlling all this, uh, controlling the information. So, no, I, I think you get the same response uh, from Obama that you get from Donald Trump, like, oh, yeah, maybe there's something there. I can't tell you, but there is, maybe. And so... There's something I don't know who's pulling the strings. I mean, if you did, you see the movie Phenomena yep. that came out. Well, you get this Harry Reid right there. You remember that scene with Harry Reid? Yep. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, there's stuff I just can't tell you." It's like that was the most momentous moment in the movie. And it's like, what do you mean? What is <laughs> right. it that you? Can, wh- right. Why are you special? We elected you. Why are you saying this? Who do you think you are? Why can't we know? And this is. So 
it's coming down to people coming forward and saying, I had this experience, this is what happened to me, and that's what more people need to talk about this. This is why John Mack was such an important, pivotal figure in this movement. You know who he is, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Harvard psychiatrist. Yep. I'm the head of the Harvard psychiatry department saying these people are not crazy. They are having a legitimate experience. Let's believe them. When someone tells you this happened to them, you could deny their reality, even though it's not yours, or you can say, maybe you're right, and it just isn't my reality. So this is what we have. We need more acceptance. I don't, There's not many people I met who are just telling people they're for sensational reasons. They're People I've met who are telling me about their contact experience, and even me, I, I didn't really want to tell people. I thought, you know, I didn't think I was crazy, but it's like, what level of reality are we existing in? Yeah. But something is happening to people. Go back to 1961, Betty and Barney Hill, yep. an, inter, an interracial couple in New Hampshire, really not wanting to be public figures or anything like that. They they didn't have a political agenda. They just wanted to live their lives as a happy couple. And they're thrown into the spotlight with this uh, uh, really first major public abduction. They're the ones. And I read about this in 1966 in Look Magazine. It's like, wow, I, I knew something was real about this. And, and these people just very regular, nice, ordinary people. He was like, I don't know, and she was a social worker and he was something. And and they had this very bizarre experience that I don't think many people could deny that really happened. Even the even the uh, hypnotherapist, um, Benjamin Simon, who worked with um, a, a battle fatigue, people, soldiers coming back from war, he developed a whole hypnosis about reliving the trauma and getting people to be at peace with them. When he worked with Betty and Barney Hill, it's in the book, uh, Interrupted Journey, it says <laughs> Betty and Barney Hill were more traumatized than anyone in heavy combat situations. Hmm. And so the level of trauma, I think, is because for those back in the 60s, this was a totally unknown situation. Since then, in the last, uh, I guess, 60 years, people are now coming out. So if you have an experience that's not as traumatic because you know what to look for, it's like, oh, yeah. And I think this is the assimilation we need to do in our modern world, in our contemporary times, because when these beings show up, they're not greater than us. They may have greater technology, but they're 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 equal to us. You know, they, they're, I feel like, insult beings that just want to find out what's going on with us. Perhaps. Maybe that's a little naive. Alan, I don't know. Alan does your experience yeah. involve contact? Yes. I felt, well, you see, some people are really clear and they thought, yeah, this happened to me. I saw a UFO. I saw an ET. Well, I was driving cross country and I had this... Uh, uh, with this girlfriend, and we just parked on the side of the road because we were driving all day, and we felt like we were frozen in the middle. We were frozen all night. Frozen meaning like we were suspended, and we we woke up in the same position we went to sleep in. So it's like, who even remembers that? You know, I mean, everyone's moving around, but somehow it was like we were in suspended animation. And I woke up with a mark on the back of my leg that I only discovered later when I was wearing shorts and someone said, what's that? It was this on the back of my knee and who looks at the back of their knee. There was this interesting four pronged. It was four. It was like a square. There were four dots. And I thought maybe it was just a spider bite or something. I mean, I, I sort of felt a little weird when we got out of that uh, time when we left that spot in the van, but I didn't really go there because just felt a little creepy. And, but when I got back to New York and I saw this mark on the back of my leg, I started to talk to people about that. And then I got introduced to Bud Hopkins. You know who Bud Hopkins I don't is? know Bud, no. Bud is like the godfather of UFO abductions. He, he wasn't the first to discover it, but he was the first to see patterns in the abduction experience. So I, I met Bud and I met people in his group. And it seemed like what happened to me will happen to other people. I didn't really remember much of it. And then it was only until I was regressed years later that mm-hmm. I did 
start to see. I mean, there's more for me to discover there, but I think writing this book um, got me uh, deeper into what happened to me. And, and after that trip cross country, I sort of became obsessed with UFOs. I, it's like I wanted to read everything. I already was growing up reading science fiction, but not to the degree where I had to go to every single conference I had to get. Right. And I didn't know why. I really didn't know why. As I look at the clock here, we're going to run out of time. We've just gotten started. Um, so I want to oh. switch, I want to switch to the book and, and talk a little bit more about the book. Um, you know, there are a lot of books on these topics. What makes this one different, Alan? This is different because I have 12 different viewpoints in here. It's like that movie Rashomon. It's seen from many different points of view because I feel nobody has the whole truth. No one really knows what's going on. But if we could put enough, like the blind man and the elephant, if we could put enough of these pieces together, maybe the reader can come out and, and form their own opinion because I only know what I know. And I interview what I, people I consider the experts in the field, people who put 40, 50, 60 years of their life into trying to discover what's going on. So I, I break it down to four categories. We have the investigators. I just look at the hardware, the government side of it. These are people like Nick Pope, Grant Cameron. And then we have the researchers who are dealing more with the phenomenon, its effect on people, Linda Moulton Howe and John Mack, like who I mentioned. And John Mack, he's no longer with us, but I asked his estate to give me this unpublished essay. And this is the first time in a long time that some of John Mack's writing has been published. So he, and then I have the experiencers. I break the experiencers down into two categories, the abductees, the people taken maybe against their will or or some higher level of agreement, and those what I call contactees who are consciously meeting the phenomena, people like Daryl Anka, who who's a channel for Bashar, and and Mary Rodwell, who talked to what she calls starseeds, these children coming in with knowledge of this phenomena and messages to give us. And then Carolyn Corey, who's really had face-to-face contact with these beings and somehow merged with these beings. So we get these different viewpoints talking about the overview effect uh, in different terminologies, but there are some consistencies throughout the essays, like each one talks about telepathy. That seems to be a common theme, no matter if you're an investigator or an experiencer. So there's something to that. And then other factors, like there is more of a paranormal understanding. Isn't this show called Beyond Reality or Paranormal? that's that's right. there is a paranormal element. It's not, we're not, and this is what the government again can't explain. There seems to be synchronicities, strange, um, even in the reports from the government coming out, they call there's a distortion in the cognitive awareness of people experiencing this phenomena. So there's a strange warping of reality when you're in contact with this. So this is all laid out in my essay and in other essays how. There's, um, it's more than just visitors. Jacques Vallée, he's not in the book, but he said, if I find out it's just people visiting from another planet, I'd be very disappointed. So there's a weirdness to it. There's like a, um, there's like, uh, people become more psychic. They become, uh, more uh, empathic. They become healers after experiencing this phenomenon. Something seems to open in the human psyche after making an encounter. Artists, the Artists become their art becomes more sophisticated. I mean, if you read what happened to the Allagash Four, these four guys on a camping trip, they were all in art school. Each of their art took after their contact experience took on another level of sophistication and more abstraction. So there is this level where it's not just visitors. There's a transformation of humanity, and that's the underlying thesis of the book. That it's happening as we approach the reality of this phenomena. So maybe I'll ask your opinion, but yeah. maybe you can also share if you got any opinion from any of the folks that you d- uh, worked mm-hmm. with in the creation mm-hmm. of the book. But right. um, what is this intersection between consciousness and this phenomena? Are we suggesting that the phenomena itself is some type of interdimensional uh, phenomena versus, uh, as as you put it, uh, you know, as as other, other than maybe just visitors from another planet? Is that what we're suggesting here? That is what I'm suggesting, and not just suggesting. I'm actually 
saying, this is what I think is going okay. on. This is what other people like John Mack and um, Daryl Anka, who has this psychic communication with this extraterrestrial Bashar. There's some, as we understand consciousness a little more, as that becomes more of a pop word for our, our culture, mm-hmm. There is a psychic consciousness linkage to these beings. There's, there's an expansion. More people are becoming psychic. I teach remote viewing, and it seems like it's easier for people to remote view. I mean, there's something about consciousness and this phenomena that is making us more aware uh, more, more um, accessible to other realms of reality, to the paranormal, which, which is not really paranormal. It's just another level of consciousness. So you're right. There is a linkage. It's not just interdimensional. It's 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 frequency based. I feel so. You know, every you can feel someone's energy now. People are becoming more accustomed to feeling energy, at least in my realities. Maybe not in the, but there's this sensitivity to um, another level of, of of happening. I mean, there's more shows like this on, on Netflix. There's more yeah. um, um, talk about um, not necessarily consciousness, but who we are as human beings and, and people are waking up to. So to, to the fact there's more to us than we've been told. I really think that's a big part of the UFO phenomena as we see these things, we start to discover more of ourselves. We become more human. Hopefully, we become more compassionate, more loving, more understanding of each other, because we're more similar to what we're going to meet that's out there. So we talked about yeah. uh, interdimensional connections here. Would you go as far or do you, would you mm-hmm. accept an idea that goes as far as to say this might be spiritual in nature? I think it's absolutely spiritual, but spiritual, not in the religious sense. Uh, the fact that if we are spirit, and, and I think we, and I, I'm pretty convinced I, are, I am, since I had that experience with Rampa, that there's a greater possibility, there's a totally spiritual dimension to some of these beings, maybe not all of them, but it's, it's awakening our spirit, and, and our spirit is more than our personality, and and I would say absolutely yes. There's a total spiritual dimension to it. People become more spiritual when they start to investigate this realm. As quantum science tries to catch up with these ideas, even though it should be introducing the ideas, in a lot of ways I think it's trying to catch up to explain the ideas and maybe the notions that we've many of us have had for a long time time. Do you think there's going to be an intersection of that scientific knowledge the when we start to understand it and the absolute, um, I guess, I don't know if we call it the aha moment when these beings, whatever they happen to be, appear and are fully accepted? Is that, a, is that are those two lines converging somewhere? Absolutely. I'm writing a paper on UFOs, consciousness, and quantum physics. Quantum physics is the key to understanding this phenomena because these things, whatever they are, are not concretized in our reality. They exist in a more um, um, apprehensive level. So when you comprehend something, when you say something, this is it, then you've collapsed the wave function, as they say in quantum physics. You know what that means? Um, uh, um, collapsing the wave function when you have a result of something and you say, this is it, like when you the double slit experiment, when there's an observer, the, um, the, the beams of light look like particles. When there's no observer at the moment, they are waves. So when you see something and you say, this is it, the wave function collapses in quantum physics and you say, this is it. But in quantum world, everything exists in superposition. So Let's take a roll of dice. If you're rolling the dice and it lands, then you've collapsed the wave function, and that's that's the uh, result. But if you're rolling the dice, all possibilities exist as, as in superposition. There's 36 possibilities when you're rolling a pair of dice. And quantum computing exists and, and calculates the probabilities, the superpositions of things, not the results. 
So what I'm saying is we need to think in less um, comprehensive ways and more abstractly. We need to apprehend the phenomena because the phenomena, according to what I've seen, exists in these realms that are not concretized. It's much more vague. We need to think with the more of the right side of our brain that lives in this world of probabilities and imagination. But it's not imaginative. It's just abst- it's apprehension versus comprehension. When you comprehend, you say, oh, this is it. When you apprehend, you say there's many possibilities. Like when you're standing in front of a tree, if you call it a tree and you think you know what it is, you're missing the incredible phenomena that that tree really is. So instead of thinking in boxes, let's take all our concepts out of the box and live in an apprehensive reality. I mean, people use that word because they're afraid apprehensive, but it really means that there's a lot, there's a cluster of possibilities, a cluster of meaning. There's a, there's an abstraction. This, this phenomenon, I've heard this abductee say, Ryan, um, what was his name? Bledsoe, saying the, the ETs talk to us in symbols. There's a symbolic nature to this overlay of consciousness that's coming in and we need to start to understand the symbolic nature of reality. And I think uh, these beings or craft are pulling us towards a more abstract level. And when we can function in the quantum world, that's when the leap in, in knowledge will really take place. How does a phenomenon like telepathy play a part in this? Well, telepathy, when you're getting an impression from someone, and if you've done telepathic exercises, sending and receiving thoughts, you're getting an impression that then becomes a word, but it's the impression, it's the feeling. Feelings, you can put a word onto it, but the words don't describe the feeling. So the sensing goes beyond what our labeling mechanism is, and we need to just be more abstract, but more tuned in to our feelings and that sensitivity. So telepathy is really in the chapter in the book by Daryl Anka, tell empathy. We're empathizing. So we're getting a sense of things instead of labeling, oh, this is it. If you know what I mean. We're, yeah. We need to think more abstractly, more symbolically, more... Um, intuitively, I think. We have, um, on this program in particular, talked about other phenomena, even things like, uh, you know, cryptid-type phenomena or even Bigfoot-type things and appearances. And some people believe there's a connection between the UFO phenomena and some of these others. Do you? Yeah. I think Bigfoot, this is just my theory, I've never, but I think they've evolved to a next level of interdimensionality. They, I think they, I don't know if anyone's ever said, there have been Neanderthals that some people say were wiped out, but they had bigger brains, and uh, maybe they were able to tap into the parts of their hardware, their brains, that led them into an interdimensional space. And uh, there have been UFO sightings around supposedly Bigfoot sightings. Right. And so there's an interdimensionality to both of these things. These you, these UFOs can slip in and out of our dimension. They have uh, some kind of technology, or maybe it's just their consciousness. Consciousness is interdimensional itself. We have yet to realize that. And when we do, that's when making contact with with Bigfoot, with all this like mystery that exists around us, will start to unfold. We're at the threshold of a new way of thinking. Is this all a physical, for lack of a better way to describe it, evolution of humanity, or maybe even a, a metaphysical evolution of humanity? Well, you know, I think both of those are really connected. I think we are being upgraded. We are evolving. I think we are don't realize it because you don't, you know, you don't see your kids grow, but they are, there's a, a, a growth spur towards uh, um, a, a lighter frequency, a finer frequency. I think despite all the problems, there are less wars on the planet than there have been. I mean, there's still a lot of awful things going on, and uh, but there's, there's a higher vibration going on here to who we are. Just look, I mean, you give a two-year-old an iPhone, 
and they know how to use it immediately. Right. You, right. If someone who's 80 years old, they have no idea how to use an iPhone. There's this evolution that is happening, and it's physical on the DNA level. I mean, I don't get into like the whole 12-strand DNA that some people talk about, but there seems to be an upgrading of our intelligence, of our awareness, and a metaphysical spiritual awakening. I mean, yeah, people are a lot more open to that than they ever have been, and and why not? Alan, our hour is basically up here. Um, oh, I can't believe that. It went so we, fast. <laughs> we just time-traveled, right? I think we did. I can't account for the time. Where can people get a hold of making contact? Well, thank you for asking that uh, question. It's on Amazon and on Barge Noble. Go to Making Contact, Alan Steinfeld, A-L-A-N-S-T-E-I-N-F-E-L-D. It's out May 4th. You can pre-order it right now. Are we live on the radio right now? Yes, we are. Oh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. But go to Amazon, pre-order it. Let's make this a bestseller because I think this book is a great introduction to the phenomena. And it is about waking people up, not just to ETs, whatever's out there, but to who we are as human beings. Our human potential comes online when we realize what's really going on, that we're part of a greater picture, a greater humanity, a greater cosmos. More is activated within our psyche, within the, the metaphysical understanding of who we are. And I think we're coming into really exciting times. It's a really hopeful, optimistic book that the future is brighter than the past. Absolutely. Alan, new, yeah, yes. go ahead. You finish your thought. No, no, I'm just saying it is an unfoldment of some new reality. So go to, go to Amazon, get Making Contact, Alan Steinfeld. Thank you. Let's make this a bestseller so we can all wake up together. Love that idea. And Alan, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing such a great job of putting these ideas into terms that even people who may not have been exposed to them before can understand them. That takes some work, and I appreciate you doing that for us tonight. What did you get from this conversation? I'm just curious. What was new to you? Because you've done lots of programs on this. I've done, you know, a lot of this stuff I've heard I've heard before, but you were able to encapsulate mm-hmm. it into a way that, that connects not just UFO phenomena and interdimensional phenomena and this greater consciousness, this greater awakening that we seem to be on the precipice of. Um, you know, you, you put it in a nice little package that made it uh, made it connect better in a way in ways that I hadn't heard before. So I appreciate that. Uh, well, it's all one thing. It's all about us expanding awareness, whether it's eating better or seeing UFOs or having a psychic... Con- I, I don't know. It seems to be all part of something bigger that's that's um, opening up for all of us now. Don't yeah. you think so? It's I all do. The same thing. I do. And a lot yeah. of people are sensing it. And, you know, different people will explain it different ways, but they all seem to be talking about the same phenomenon. And that's... You know that so a lot of people are noticing a change, whether it's I it's think, in progress and it's coming. I think humanity is waking up to something a, a bigger reality, and that's what's exciting. Imagine like a new world. I mean, we still have a long way to go, but it's a start. It is, Alan. Again, thank you for being here tonight. I, I hope you'll agree to come back at some point because I'd love to have you back. Anytime we could talk about remote viewing, we could talk about you know lots lots of things I've been studying. You know, ancient civilizations is another topic. So yeah, let's do it definitely. Thanks so much for putting me on the show. Thank you again. It. Thank you. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by JV Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.